Let's open our Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 5. Tonight we'll study verses 19 through 22. Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 22. We're studying in a broader sense what it means to walk in wisdom. And we've been studying in a more specific sense what it means to be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. We spoke last time very briefly, but we need to review it just momentarily about five ministries of the Holy Spirit that are revealed in the New Testament. Of these five, the first three, the baptizing ministry, the indwelling ministry, and the sealing ministry are all bestowed upon the believer at the very moment that person places their faith and their faith alone in Jesus Christ. There are no biblical commands to be baptized by the Spirit or to be indwelt by, be indwelt by the Spirit or to be sealed with the Spirit. These are things that happen automatically. In fact, Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, if one is not indwelt with the Holy Spirit, they're not a believer at all. That's one way that we know that we're a believer is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The final two, we said last week, were a bit different though. Walking by means of the Spirit, this is spoken of primarily in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 and following, and being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Walking and filling are mandated. And the first three, there's no command because they happen automatically. Walking and filling are mandated, meaning that we have to have a part of that. God does the first three based upon our decision to trust Christ. We have a part in the second two. We're to walk by means of the Holy Spirit and we're to be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to walk. We're commanded to be filled. Those are both present imperatives which indicate that these are not automatic, but rather they're injunctions for every believer to follow continually. It's not like you make a one-time decision. They say, okay, maybe you get really enthused this evening and say, okay, I'm going to walk by means of the Holy Spirit. So you pray tonight, Father, I'm going to help me to walk by means of the Holy Spirit, and then that's it. That's not how it works, neither with the filling ministry of the Holy Spirit, either one. So these are, these are commands that have to be continually brought forth into our consciousness. It's quite clear from Galatians chapter 5 when it comes to walking by means of the Holy Spirit. It's quite clear that we're either at any given moment, at any given second of time, we're either walking by means of the Holy Spirit or we're walking by means of the flesh. Paul presents a very either-or concept there. Either we're walking by means of the Holy Spirit and as a result of that, we're producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, or rather Galatians 5.22, or we're walking by means of the flesh and we're producing the deeds of the flesh. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is singular. Love is the, is the, is the overall overarching principle there. Everything else flows from that. The deeds of the flesh, actually that's plural because everyone has different areas of strengths and weaknesses in their life, and we all have different areas of sinful patterns. So if when we're walking by means of the flesh, we'll produce love. When we're functioning under the influence, walking by means of the spirit, we'll produce love. When we're walking by means of the flesh, or when we're under the influence of the flesh, we will produce its fruit or its production, immorality, idolatry, jealousy, and so on. To be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit, the subject that we've been discussing over the last three weeks, is a closely related, and it is so closely related, 
but it's still distinct from walking by means of the Spirit. It's also distinct from this indwelling ministry. Sometimes people get that confused. We're indwelt with the Spirit. We're filled up by means of the Spirit. And it's easy to confuse those two things, but we can't do that. Again, we're indwelt automatically. We're never commanded to be indwelt. We're commanded to be filled so that it's more than just indwelling. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit realized in us and through us. The activity of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God himself, in us and through us. Even, even in that terminology, you can see that there's an applicational side to being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, there's an applicational side to walking by means of the Spirit. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? But there's also application that comes, and we'll see it tonight in a big way, application that's going to come from being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. So to be filled up by the means of the Holy Spirit means to be filled with the content, with the content of God's moral excellence and power, which is to know the love of Christ. Now, where did we get that from? Because we've said in the previous classes that the, the content of the filling of the Holy Spirit is not the Spirit himself. We never get more of the Spirit than we had at the moment we trusted Christ. There's never more indwelling than what we got then. As Lewis Ferry Chafer used to say, what it means to be filled with the Spirit is that the Spirit gets more of you. It's not that we get more of the Spirit. The Spirit gets more of us. We are more yielded to Him. Actually, the difference, the distinction, albeit ever so slight, between walking and being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit, because if you're listening carefully, a question that you might have says, well, wait a minute. If the ultimate expression of walking by means of the Holy Spirit is love, okay, and the ultimate expression of being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit is love, then what's the distinction? Well, there is. There's obviously a distinction. Paul uses different uh, terminology in the different places, but it may be more of, of emphasis than anything else. Walking by means of the Holy Spirit stresses a reliance upon the Holy Spirit, a moment-by-moment, second-by-second, and I believe conscious reliance on the Holy Spirit for enablement and empowerment to live a life pleasing to God. And that goes for everybody. It doesn't just go for missionaries or for pastors or for someone who's doing a Bible study or, or teaching a Bible study, rather. That goes for all of us. No matter what it is we do in terms of occupation, no matter what it, what it means we're going to do on a particular day, we need to live our lives moment by moment understanding that the empowerment and the enablement to live a life that pleases God comes from God. God working in us and through us. So walking stresses enablement and empowerment. Being filled by, the mean, by means of the Holy Spirit stress, stresses the process of being filled with the content of God's moral excellence and power, which is to know the love of Christ. Of the two, the term maturity would probably be more closely related to being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. It's not synonymous with maturity. I, I believe one who is less than a mature believer certainly can be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. But since being filled up is a process, maturity is all Christian maturity is also a process. And so if there is a difference, it's a slight, and I, and I agree, it's a slight difference. There's a slight distinction, but maybe that's the, the slight distinction that, that we're looking for. 
Now, both walking and filling are presented in Galatians and in Ephesians, respectively, as either-or propositions. We either walking by means of the Spirit or not walking by means of the Spirit. We are either at any one given moment being filled up by means of the Spirit or not being filled up by the means of, by means of the Holy Spirit. So they are uh, both the result of presenting oneself to God and submitting His will, submitting our will to His will for our lives. So you have this phrase, don't be drunk with wine, which is a wasted life. But, and it's a real strong conjunction, adversative conjunction, very, very strong. This is the polar opposite of that, Paul is saying. Be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. The wise walk, and we are talking about wise walking, the wise walk or the wise life, the wise Christian life, is characterized by the Spirit's influence and the Spirit's control. The Holy Spirit fills us with the fullness of God so that we might understand what the will of the Lord is and then as a result of that, live wisely. Don't we all want that? Don't we all face situations every day for which we would love to have wisdom? Remember back in the Old Testament when Solomon could ask for anything he wanted and he asked for that which was more precious than silver or gold or all the riches of the world? Wisdom, the ability to make the appropriate decision when faced with a particular set of circumstances. And that's, a, a leader has to have wisdom. But then we need wisdom to live moment by moment. We, we are always faced with situations. We, we don't know what's, what we're going to face tomorrow. I'm glad that I don't know what I'm going to face tomorrow. Because sometimes you wake up in the morning, you get a phone call, you, you read something in an email, and you think, oh my goodness. Now had I known about that the night before, I wouldn't have ever slept. That's, that's why Cindy prohibits me from reading emails after 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> don't send me one because unless I sneak up and do it, I typically have gotten a new rule. I don't read them after 10 o'clock because I won't be able to sleep anyway, at least if they're bad or if they're, they're troubling or you know, terrible news. Now, of course, as your pastor, if something troubling happens after 10 o'clock at night, feel free to call me. You know, I'll, I'll certainly answer the phone. But, boy, I'm glad I don't know what, what I'm going to face tomorrow, but I know God's going to be there with me to face it, and I know if, if I'm being filled up by means of his Holy Spirit, I'm going to have the ability to make wise decisions about the circumstances that I face. So this is all about wise living. And we want to remember that because this is such a critical and, may I say, controversial passage that we're about to confront. And I have to say confront because even in an audience of, of solid evangelical believers who love the Lord, this, this is still a challenging passage. Because when we talk about wise living, one of the most important aspects of wise living is how we interact with other people. None of us are an island unto ourselves. People, some people might like to think they are. And oh yeah, every now and then we'll have a Tom Hanks that gets, you know, is off on a deserted island. And but you know, you, you know, remember that even Tom Hanks had to have Wilson. Made, made, you know what I mean? There was that need to interact. Wilson was a soccer ball that he painted with a face. He, he still needed somebody to interact with. That's, that's the human trend. That's the human nature. That's how we're hardwired. And so we live life, not in isolation, but we live life with other people. You know, if, if you're married and your spouse is, is still living, then you, you have, there's another person in that house with you. 
if you're younger and you have children, there are children in that house with you as well. If you get up and you go to work, there, generally speaking, there are other people that you worked with. When you go to the store, you stand in line with other people. How do we live wisely in view of the incredible wild card that we have when it comes to other people? I have a hard enough time controlling myself, much less what other people are going to do. So how do I live wisely when it comes to interaction with other people? Because we live, we work, we play, and we worship with other people. I've talked to folks that have decided, you know, to heck with church. I like Christ, but I don't like Christians. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm going to just study the Word of God in my home, and I don't intend to interact with any other believers. Well, I hope you study it hard because you're going to finally get to the pastoral epistles where you're going to see that God's plan and the book of Acts, you're going to see that God's plan is for us to congregate together. Book of Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the man of some is. So I almost have to, to laugh out loud when people tell me that I'm an incredibly mature believer and I've decided to divorce myself from the Christian community. You're not, a, you're not an incredibly mature believer if that's what you choose to do. By definition, you're not. But we worship together. You know, since other people in our congregation have old sin natures, then how are we going to do this and have a cohesive, have a coherence? To our relationships with one another. Oh, well, right, too. I have an old sin nature as well. You know, but, but it's not just the other guy that has the old sin nature. Guess what? We have one, too. And so you got two old sin natures sitting next to people in a congregation or sitting across from somebody because really if you're having, a tr- having trouble with somebody, you're, you're probably not going to sit next to them unless it's your spouse. You can't avoid that. <laughs> but I do watch sometimes. Some spouses do. I, I watch this. And I know some of you use the excuse, well, I'm just ushering. <laughs> you know, you can save seats. If you're an usher, you can save seats. It's okay. <laughs> no, I, I joke just because it's such a, a serious, this, this thing about interpersonal relationships is so serious. Now, Paul's about to embark on the idea of how we're to behave, how we're to live wisely when it comes to interpersonal relationships. And it's no accident whatsoever that before he goes into that, and we're talking about wise living, he tells us about this ministry of the Holy Spirit whereby we're filled up with all the love of God, with the fullness of God. You see, because if we're going to get through day-to-day interacting with other people, and life is about interacting with other people, then we have to have this ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord has made. I'm so happy he did. He's made a provision for peaceful, God-honoring interaction in the world. Now, primarily, we're talking about believer to believer here, but, but once we get to slaves, masters, or employers, employees, not necessarily there. It, it, it broadens out a little bit. But he has developed a, a system, or I prefer the term provision, for this peaceful, God-honoring type of personal interaction. Now, he's established a leadership structure at what I'll call a macro level as, as part of this interaction. What I mean by macro level is things like governments, um, 
judges and juries, police officers. He's also established a leadership structure on, may I call it, a a more micro level. He's established leadership structures, say, within marriage, within the family, and the workplace. Those are three that he'll talk about. But never forget that these leadership structures are introduced in the middle of a section that's talking about wise living that is enabled by the filling ministry of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that. Now, the remainder of the section, which is going to run all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, is going to deal not with the macro level. Paul deals with the macro level in, say, like Romans 13. But he's going to deal with more the micro level, the, the personal areas of leadership. And please, please keep it in mind that as we study these three levels, and may I just say it, as we study the first one, And we won't do that this week. That'll be next week's subject. I'll give you fair warning ahead of time. We'll see who comes and who doesn't. I'll take a picture right now so you won't hear me. By the way, you know, they they sold me on the new iPhone that has 32, 16 or 32. I'm not really sure what the 32 is. But they said, said, you're you're a grandfather, aren't you? I said, well, I'm going to be. He said, well, you've got to get the 32 because you can take better pictures with the 32. Golly, give me the 32. Well, anyway, the the remainder of the section is going to discuss these personal areas, particularly the marriage relationship. And we need to keep it very closely in mind that this is following right after the introduction of this concept called the filling by means of the Holy Spirit. No accident. You know, if, if in Christianity, if we could just do one thing, now we need to do hundreds, but if we could just do one thing, I think most of you would agree that if we could have personal peace and interaction with our spouses, wouldn't things run so much more smoothly? Now, nobody's going to have that perfectly because you've got two old sin natures living in the same house. But, but if it could be better, see, because if it's better, especially in, in younger adults, then the children are going to have a better model of what marriage should be like. And then when they get to the point where they have a family of their own, they'll have something to look back upon. That's why, that's why being a, a good parent is so incredibly important. That's why they say that the greatest gift, a, for example, a father could give to his children is to demonstrate to those children that that father really does love their mother. So, so this is a big subject. It's a subject that, listen, frankly... I don't care how good, I do care a lot, but, but for this, I don't care how good the marriage is, it can always be better. Or I don't care how good the friendships are, they can always be better. I don't care how close the church is, it can always be better. This side of heaven, it can always be better. So this is really, really important stuff. But before introducing these three critical areas of spiritual leadership, and I'm talking about at the micro level. Again, he talked about the macro level in Romans. Here at the micro level, before doing that, he introduces four participles that are the result of being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. Four participles. Let me read this passage. It's in verse, let's begin in verse 18. That's where the sentence begins. 
And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You know what we do most of the time when we study this passage? What we do is people study verse 18. They typically don't study the things that come before verse 18. We take verse 18 in isolation. We'll do a study on verse 18, what it means to be filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. Then we skip verses 19 through 21, and we see right in on wives being subject to their husbands. And no wonder people have such problems with that concept because they don't take it verse by verse, concept by concept, precept by precept, and see how Paul is building his case here. And once you see how it's built, if you are in, in any way submissive to the Spirit in your life, it'll make incredible sense. So we have these four participles. Now, these are participles of results. In other words, once I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what results from that, or at least a sampling of what results. Speaking to one another, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for all things, and then finally, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. All of these are, are participles. They're present participles, meaning that these are ongoing things, just like the idea of being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time decision. These are things that are ongoing applicational Issues, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to God or to the Lord, giving thanks to God for all things and submitting to one another in the fear of or out of respect for Jesus Christ. Now, there are some who understand these participles differently. I want to mention that respectfully. And they take them as causal participles. Let me tell you what that means from a practical standpoint. When these are taken as causal participles, it, it, would, it would mean that these four actions cause one to be filled by means of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Tony Evans, for example, holds that view. Uh, he, he presents that. Um, or, or it leads to one being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. Now, in my view, I, I, this is one place, and, and most of the time I do, but I, I agree with the majority of New Testament scholars that, that take these actions are a result of being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. It, it makes a little bit more sense with regard to the, the placing of them in context, but they're, they're a result of not the primary cause of it. Now, I, I do have one more thing to say about that. I'll say it in just a moment, though, when it comes up in, in a more appropriate time. So, drunkenness, remember this, drunkenness leads to a wasted life, right? Especially if that's what you're relying upon to solve your problems in life or to get from one moment to the next. Drunkenness, pills, whatever it may be. Being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit leads to or results in what you see in front of you now. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for all things, and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. You see the, at least the structure that Paul has set up for you. Drunkenness or wasted life. Being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit 
what you see up in front of you. I hope you can see there's a big difference between a wasted life and these four incredible things. And the first of the results, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we should notice that in this context, what is being spoken of here, even though the words psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are used, in this context, one believer, watch, is ministering to another believer. by speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So in the context of corporate worship, because this has got to be corporate worship because there's another person involved. Anytime there's a one another, it's not just you. In the context of corporate worship, believers minister to each other in this way. Now maybe when you sing hymns at church, you've never thought of that. And true, we are ministering, we are worshiping the Lord. That's the second one. We'll get to that in a minute. But there is this aspect of when I sing or when the scripture is read or, or when the scripture is just the focus of a conversation, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that we are ministering one to another. I remember one of my fondest memories of my time in seminary was a chapel service that, that was part of a week that they called Professor Emeritus Week. <coughs> and the two professors that were being honored that week were Dwight Pentecost and John Walton. And what they did that week, both of them spoke, but what they also did before each man spoke, they allowed each of them to pick their own hymn that would go along with their sermon or their favorite hymn. I don't remember which one picked which. I was racking my brain today trying to remember that. Uh, but one of them picked, and can it be, I think that was Dr. Pentecost, and the other one picked Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, two of my absolute favorite hymns. And I'm, I'm pretty sure at this point that it was Dr. Pentecost that picked, and can it be. And I, I will never forget this till the day I die. I may forget exactly which one of them picked it, but I'll never forget the experience. Uh, Chafer Seminary at Dallas sits about 800 people, something in that range, something like that. And at this particular time, there were mostly male voices, perhaps 10% female voices in there. And there was um, a piano and Chaplain Bill with his trumpet. And, and we all stood. And you know that hymn, And Can It Be? It's a very powerful progression of doctrinal and biblical truth. And as we sang it, each verse became louder and louder. And I, as, as we started, and by the time we finished, I was singing so loud, I was singing at the top of my voice, and I couldn't hear myself. I realized, I was standing next to a man named Slayton McGregor. We've prayed for his wife, Kathleen, in the past. He, he ministers out in Florida. I was standing next to Slayton, and I realized, I looked over at him, and I realized, even though I had a coat and tie on, I had goosebumps. It was, it was incredible. Yes, I was singing to God. But something was happening back my direction at the same time. I was singing, praising God. That's number two here. We'll get to that. But even before that, or in a, in simultaneous with that, it was coming back to me. And I was being ministered to. Goosebumps with a coat and tie on because of music. Now, not just any music. And I love music. 
I really do. I've got uh, probably 200 songs on my iTunes. I mean, that, I, and they're all different kinds. If you go over there, I'll show them to you. you know, some of them are rock and roll. Some of them are uh, Christian music, traditional, contemporary, I, uh, classical. I have it all over there. I even have this, uh, this new Irish rock that David likes so much. It's, uh, I won't play that for you. It's a little bit rough. But, but I, like, I like it all. But that kind of stuff doesn't give me goosebumps. You see, there was more to it. I was being ministered to. Now, there's very, New Testament scholarship has found very little difference between the terms, uh, hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. There really, there really isn't a lot of difference. Paul was a Hebrew thinker. He, this was written in Greek, but he's a Hebrew thinker. And sometimes the Hebrew mindset would, would use a lot of synonyms in their poetry and sometimes in their prose. So I think that's what he's doing here. But, but what's happening here is we are singing to God, to be sure. And again, we'll see that in a moment in the second one. But we're also edifying others and being edified when we sing. So when we sing in a God-honoring way, we need to remember that is a result of the filling ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, that might be a little convicting. Because if we find ourselves bored to tears and just mouthing the words apart from any kind of interaction, any kind of personal uh, intersection with what's happening, you can pretty well bet you're not filled up by means of the Holy Spirit at that particular moment. Because this is one of the results of that happening. Now, there are many, many, but this is certainly one. I told you a moment ago that, that most would take these participles to be results, and I do. But there is this, dare I use a word that really got some blasphemy, but there is this nuance. There, there is this thing that also happens where, yes, it begins with the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that causes us to be able to minister to one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So that leads to these four results, not just this one, but all four of them. But what we also see is this subtlety, this ever so subtlety, that when I'm, I'm not only ministering to others, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is filling me up in order to do that, but as I'm filled up and other, everybody in the room is doing it, I'm also being ministered to which is encouraging me and exhorting me in, in a spiral that's very, very positive. So in that sense, I can certainly see a causal aspect here. Are you, are you following me? It starts out as a result. But because it's going both ways, there's that one another thing in Christianity. Not only am I ministering to you when I sing, you're ministering to me when we sing. We're talking about congregationally. Or even if it's a wonderful choir or something, it would be more one directional. But we're ministering to each other, and that's going to motivate me even more to be focused upon the Lord and to submit my life to Him. You see, you see about the why you you do such incredible harm to yourself when you divorce yourself from the Christian community. Oh yeah, you can sing, you can listen to the radio, but you're not going to get the full orb of what God has designed for. Now, we need to move on here, but in the second of these 
issues, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, that's what we normally think of. When I sing, we say, who am I singing to? I'm singing to the Lord. I talked about that last week when it came to worship in Old Testament. Whether you've got a good voice or a bad voice, it really doesn't matter. It's you use what God gave you because you're ministering to him. He gave you the voice. You're giving back by ministering, or you're worshiping him, rather, with, with uh, your voice. Now, the believer filled up by means of the Holy Spirit will not only sing with their lips, but watch, they'll sing with their hearts. That's different. That's different. You see, we won't simply mouth words that are detached from their meaning or from feeling. I know feeling's a bad word in some circles. But they won't be detached from their meaning or from feeling. But when we sing, we'll sing with all of our being. That's what the heart means. The heart is the center, biblically, the heart is the center of the person. Not just emotionally, but includes emotion but also intellectually and volitionally. That means we can't leave any part behind. And when we're filled up by means of the Holy Spirit, we're going to give it our all when we sing. It's true. Sometimes we have a sore throat. Sometimes we don't feel well. Sometimes, I mean, I've, I've sung so enthusiastically. Sometimes I get feeling a little, almost a little lightheaded. You know what I mean? But I'm talking about all things being equal. This is what the result of the filling of the Holy Spirit is. Singing to the Lord, making melody with your heart to the Lord. That's number two. And then finally, or number three, being totally devoted, being filled up by means of the Holy Spirit, being singing with the whole person, devoting our lives to him, not just a part of it, will then lead to always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. When we are filled up by means of the Holy Spirit, and we're filled with the content of his love, we will express our gratitude to God, both in prayer and in the manner in which we live our lives, with the words that we say, with the things that we choose to do, with the way that we choose to give. Now, this excludes from the potential responses to the circumstances of life such unfortunate things as anger and disappointment with God. You will never be angry or disappointed with God if you're filled up by means of the Holy Spirit. It is an, it's a theological impossibility. People do it. But it's a theological impossibility. It's... it's it's rather difficult to be angry with God and be thankful to him at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a difficult thing to do. If I'm thanking him for whatever that was that walked in the door, whatever that was that came into my life unexpectedly that day, it's going to be very difficult for me to be angry with him at the same time I'm thankful. We need to remember this. That the believer who is filled up by means of the Holy Spirit will keep blessing or prosperity and adversity in their right perspective. We won't go too far one way or the other. And finally, it is submitting to God, or submitting to one another, rather, in the fear of Christ, out of respect for Christ. Now, if there's, and I know we're, just give me three more minutes and we'll finish this, because this is vital to understanding next week's lesson. But if there is a top ten list of verses that are abused in this generation, this one, verse 21, has got to be up there somewhere. 
I would put it in the top two or three verses that are being abused. Now, why? It's because verse 22 and following, 22 and 23, because most, some, I wish it was, I could say just a few, but a lot of people, even in Christianity, find verse 22 so offensive that they're looking for any way out. So they go back to verse 21 and say, well, wait a minute. Uh, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, what, it, what this means is, verse 22 doesn't mean that a wife is supposed to submit herself to the leadership of her husband. Because verse 21 said, we're supposed to mutually submit to one another. So, therefore, it doesn't really mean what it looks like it means in verse 22. What it really means is that my husband's to submit to me and then I'm to submit to him. Well, aside from that being complete nonsense, it means nothing. It's not what the text means either. Because from verse 522 all the way to 6-9, there will be three areas outlined that are part of this mutual submission. Husbands and wives, uh, parents to children, and employers to employees. Mutual submission means that the believer is filled up who is filled up by means of the Holy Spirit, will submit themselves to the one who is in authority in whatever realm they happen to find themselves at that particular moment. Whether it's the church, whether it's the home or the workplace, or whether it's in the process of getting a speeding ticket. By, by the way, if you, have, if you are in the process of getting a speeding ticket, Understand, you've already rebelled against part of that macro authority that said you can only go that fast on a particular road. Don't compound it by being rude to the police officer. All you've done is just compounded the problem. But the, here's the absurdity. Those who think that because verse 21 says we should mutually be, be mutual, mutually subject, uh, subject to one another in the respect of the Lord or the fear of the Lord, they, they want very much to apply that to husbands and wives. So we have mutual submission to one another, which again means nothing. But I don't usually hear them saying that as a parent you submit, you should mutually submit yourself to your child. Okay, you know, whatever they want, you know, I'm going to tell them what I want, but if whatever they want, then, then there would be chaos, there would be anarchy, there'd be, it would be nonsense. And I can assure you back in the ancient world, in the original context, masters weren't in a big hurry to submit themselves to their slaves. No, mutual submission doesn't mean that within the context of that institution, both parties submit to each other. What it means is in the context of the institutions, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, that's where you submit. Does that make sense? So in other words, if you find yourself in a marriage, then one should submit themselves in that context in the way that God says. If we find ourselves in a family, if I'm a child, I am to obey my parents. If I'm a if I'm a, a worker at the office or in the old times, and if I was a slave, then I have the responsibility of submit to submit myself to the master. Now, here's the thing, because I know this in the, in the American mindset where we're very independent. And we don't want to submit to anybody or anything, but we need to remember this. Everyone answers to someone. Husbands answer to God. Parents answer to God. Masters, slave masters, or in the modern context, employers answer to God. So it's not like God is, is in any way advocating some sort of despotism. In fact, quite the opposite. For husbands are going to be told, in the context of the marriage relationship, just as a quick preview, 
that they have the responsibility of leadership in the marriage, but that responsibility is to be exercised within a very tight context. And that tight, tight context includes loving his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, a lot of husbands say, well, I don't think I want that job. You know, I don't, if, I, if that's what it means to be the boss, then somebody else can do it. But we can't take the Bill Cosby approach there. That is the job. That is the responsibility. So not only do you have the responsibility to lead, you have the responsibility to lead in a loving, self-sacrificing way. And remember, always remember, if you have any kind of leadership that has been delegated in one of these, may I call them divine institutions, then you remember you have somebody to answer to that is watching everything you're doing. And he knows if you've been a good husband, loving as Christ loved the church, he knows if you've been a parent that models his fatherhood, he knows if you're an employer that is doing the right thing. Now, all this comes back to, let's close now, but all this comes back to wise living. The believer who is filled up by means of the Holy Spirit will speak to one another in psalms and spiritual hymns and spiritual songs. They will sing and make melody in their heart to the Lord. They'll give thanks for all things. They'll submit to one another in the fear of Christ. And doing so, in that process of doing so, they will minister to one another. They will devote themselves to God. They will keep times of prosperity and adversity in the proper perspective. And they will function well within the God-ordained parameters for personal interaction. Thank you, Father, for setting up this system, a system of responsibility. But thank you so much for giving us your Holy Spirit and this ministry of being filled up by his agency to accomplish this. Help us in the days to come to practice this, to, fo to focus our attention upon you, to submit ourselves to you, and therefore to have more God-honoring personal interaction. We'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.